Welcome to the Project DIY Hunter Podcast. If you're thinking about hunting DIY or if you've been hunting DIY for a long time, this podcast is for you. We invite you to join us as we seek to gain knowledge to continue to be successful DIY hunters. Thanks for listening and enjoy the podcast. What is up? Thanks for getting back for another episode of Project DIY Hunter Podcast. Um, I'm joined with Kenny and his buddy Drew. We're outside hanging out. It's the first time we've done it outside. It's the first time we've done it um, face-to-face with more than, you know, two people. So it's pretty awesome. So, Kenny, how are you doing? I'm all right. I'm just uh, enjoying the weather. Yeah, man, it's pretty pretty nice out here. I expected it to be pretty warm when I when I pulled up and seen y'all chilling outside, but um, weather's pretty good out here. Yeah, I uh, was hoping the mosquitoes wouldn't eat us up but you know so uh tell us about yourself drew what got you into fishing and how did you uh get to where you're at now um well i mean obviously i've been fishing my whole life you know from with my grandpa you know my dad all that good stuff fishing out of ponds little creeks stuff like that um then as i grew up I uh, just started to take it more serious, get, you know, build a, a passion, if you will, because, I mean, Lord knows that's what I have now is a passion for it. Um, really, I just, uh, I've always loved fishing. And, you know, from the bank, from a bass boat, a pontoon, a raft, uh, whatever gets me out there. So how did you uh, end up in a kayak because... Me myself as the heavier guy, I don't want to paddle. So how'd you go from a boat to a kayak and want to be that guy? Well, um, in 2015 was the first time I had ever uh, kayak fished. Uh, one of my buddies, Derek, asked me to go out. I thought we were just going to float down a river. Um, we get there, and you know he's got eight rods, a bunch of tackle you know the the whole works and it was funny because his only backup kayak if you will the loner kayak that i was fortunate enough to use was a inflatable kayak but it had rod holders it had you know the it wasn't just some you know little walmart gimmick inflatable deal i mean you know it had some bells and whistles um we went out man and Honestly, the first fish I missed because I was too worried about like paddling, trying to you know reposition the boat. Um, the second fish, it was only like a pound, pound and a half, but it took me for a miniature sleigh rod. And I mean, after that, I just you know started looking up kayaks and really you know seeing what was out there and it's kind of where I'm at now. So, how did the uh inflatable? paddle because to me it wouldn't it'd have more draft on it per se uh it i mean it really didn't paddle (laughs) it it was i mean you can imagine being on some type of inner tube with a double-ended paddle and a fishing rod and that's about what you could expect in an inflatable kayak so you're gonna work twice as hard to get the same result yeah, you're going to work three times as hard to know that you're just spinning in circles. Yeah, no, I can totally see that. <laughs> um, but, yeah, so my first, like, the first real kayak 
uh, and I say real as in, you know, more than just inflatable. My first real fishing kayak experience was in 2017. Um, you know, I had played around with, uh, I had like a little $120 sit inside kayak that I went to a place called Boyd's Mill Pond. And I mean, I, I slaughtered that water in that sit inside. I, I was out there every day after work, every weekend and, you know, really got to, you know, got, got my own experience with it. And, you know, like, cause it, no matter if you hunt, fish, whatever, you have good days, you have bad days. And I just, I don't know, man. I mean, and then plus growing up, you know, not in the richest family. So a kayak's way more affordable. At that time. Yeah, at that time. <laughs> and then, I don't know, man. It just, it, it's like one of those things that you do it long enough, you don't like any other way. I can almost see the solitude and simplicity in the beginning. You know, you're not worried about going to buy gas and you're not worried about registering and everything at that time. And, you know, you kind of just throw it on top of your car or on a little trailer and go. You don't really have to have a big storage place to keep it. Don't worry about it cranking when it gets to the ramp. (laughs) And that's true. I mean, it's, uh, I don't know, just the simplicity of it's appealing. I'm sure to some, but then you uh, you kind of took it to another level. Well, yeah, um, because in 2008, well, the end of 2017, uh, I caught the last tournament um, of the local tournament trail. I had no idea what I was doing. I had no idea how that tournament system was set up. And it's completely different than your typical bass boat tournaments. Bass boat tournament, obviously, you have a live well. You keep, you know, get your keepers, you cull, you know, get your biggest fish, whatever, take them in. You do a total weight on a scale. Well, obviously, in a kayak, you don't have enough room to have a live well to maintain, you know, the health of five, however, you know, whatever size bass that you have. Keep them alive for eight hours, be able to take them in. It's just, I'm not going to say it's not possible, but it's not like feasible you know what i mean um so it's off of uh measuring devices and it's uh, a cpr method catch photo release um and i went in with honestly i went and got one of the little stick rulers that you use on a bass boat at walmart for like eight bucks that's not you know it's not any ruler works i mean there's you know restrictions and guidelines and you know approved measuring devices that you know you have to have to be able to compete in that level um so i kind of got i wouldn't even say i got my feet wet in 2017 because it was one tournament 2018 and this is you know how i guess destiny works or whatever you know if you want to call it faith or whatever um as fate would have it, in January 2018, um, I was actually looking for a job. And I came across a brand-new company called Bonafide Kayaks in Greenville, 15 minutes from where I lived. So I was like, you know what? I'm going to try to get in there. Um, I put in my app, and on the way home, got a call to come back. So I was like, you know, I'm only 15 minutes away. I'm going to turn around and go back. And I actually got to talk to the CEO, president, owner, founder, you know, 
the whole shebang Luther Ciphers. Um, well, sad story, Luther Ciphers also owned and founded uh, Yak Attack. Yak Attack is like fishing accessories, you know, rod holders, tackle management, paddle holder. I mean, anything you can think of, they, they have something for it. Yeah, and um, while going back to the story, I went to Bonafide. They made kayaks, um, and whenever in the interview, he told me, you know, hey, man, this is a startup company. We're not, like, we don't have one single kayak in a store yet. But I can promise you hours. I can promise you, uh, you know, competitive pay, and you get to make kayaks. And you're gonna get to meet whoever walks through that door. I was like, "Yeah, no, I mean, that's you, right up your you alley." Had me, you had me at get to make kayaks <laughs> and competitive pay. You know, um, so I actually started that night. I only worked for like three or four hours. You know, doing a little bit of training, kind of walking through wherever you know, checking out the inventory. Um, well, fast forward, I was there for two years. Um, ended up being the customer service rep. Uh, went on the road for them, did a bunch of trade shows, demo days, um, you know, stuff like that. Got to meet a lot of different people, see so many different bodies of water that I probably wouldn't have seen had I not had that position. Um, and what's awesome, another side story to that is what's awesome, the kayak that I have now I actually made from a plastic powder resin. You know, like I, I made the boat, trimmed it out, you know, put all the accessories on it, put whatever I wanted wherever on the boat, whatever colored seat, colored pad, you know. Yeah, no, I had wicked. free I had free reign on it. And um but yeah, now so if you look at that right there in a I guess as a picture, you see, you know, what, three years ago I was in a hundred and twenty dollar kayak. Now I have a eighteen hundred dollar kayak. And that's just if you were to purchase it bare bones. You know, and I probably have, man, close to two grand worth of stuff on it. I mean, my fish finder alone is twelve hundred dollars. So, so what all do you run? I guess you don't need all this stuff, of course, to just go fishing in a kayak. But what do you use for your tournaments? And I guess your go-to kayak system. I don't mean lures and stuff, but I just mean. How many rod holders, how many rods, your graph, you know, like what's your what's your home? Well, see, that's the thing with kayak fishing is you're limited to space. Like your space is severely limited. And not only space, you have to take in, you know, weight into accountability. Because obviously you have a weight capacity, but if you're, you know, they have pedal drive kayaks, paddle type kayaks, and then, of course, now you're getting into motorized kayaks. And, um, I mean, really, you have to take in weight for anything. I don't care what type of kayak you have because, I mean, you don't want to be out there for eight hours during a tournament in a barge and not be able to really get anywhere because then you limit yourself on, you know, probability and doing well in the tournament if you're limited to, you know, X amount of space because you can't paddle a half a mile. You know, so in the tournament um, world, do you think there's an advantage to the guy that can afford the trolling motor? Absolutely. So it's like almost a little um, bit unfair. 
Well, okay, I, I'm kind of. Uh, this answer is going to be slightly like a contradiction, if you will, because yes, they have the better advantage, but not always. Just because, for instance, there's a uh, professional kayak uh, angler by the name of uh, Drew Gregory. He uses a kayak, you know, he has multiple kayaks. Um, but, uh, uh, for instance, this, this uh, last season, 2020 season, um, I know he made 10 grand easily, you know, cash and checks and the Hobie BOS and then uh, KBF um, from a kayak, number one, that cost less than $1,000. He paddled, took, uh, I think, like four or five rods with him and two tackle boxes. But he knew where the fish were. Yeah. But if you look at where he went, though, you're not getting a pedal kayak back there. You're not getting a kayak with a motor back there. Like, he literally had to drag his kayak probably half of the, you know, the the duration of his trip just to get to the spots he was trying to access. You know, like, he's a a tributary guy, uh, a small creek, loves the backwaters, tries to find, you know, the some river inlet coming in. I mean, the dude's a genius. I mean, his tournament winning says that for him, you know. But and he's a really good dude. But saying that story just goes to show that, like, you don't need spot lock. You don't need, you know, a $1,000, $2,000, you know, fish finder set up. You don't need pan optics. You don't need all of that stuff. But... I mean, it helps. That that's just like you know. There's there's guys that, um, Santee Cooper last year. It was one in thirty feet of water. And if you know anything about Santee Cooper, that's not really what you would think going to Santee Cooper. You're looking in ten feet or less. Yeah, I mean, I mean, thirty feet of water might be at the dam. Yeah. Well, it, it, it was on the Southern Lake, uh, yeah. uh, Moultrie yeah. or whatever it's called. Yeah, Lake Moultrie. Um, but I mean, it just goes to show you, I mean, that's just like, if you were to, you know, try to predict a hunting trip of a place that you've never been, you might think they're, you know, in cornfields or whatever, but really they're up on, you know, the ridges of a mountain taking cover or, you know what I mean? Like you don't know until you do your research. So like for me, I prefer a motor, um, just because I can cover more water, I can hit more spots in a day, and I'm not killing myself doing it. A lot of the times, you know, like I'm, I consider myself a power fisherman. I don't really, I'm not saying I don't, but, you know, I, I'm not the guy that goes out there first thing in the morning and picks up, you know, a spinning rod with a little finesse worm on it. I'm picking up, a, you know, a crankbait that's 18 to 22 feet that – you're going to feel it in 20 minutes of throwing it. Like you're cranking your tail off and, but you cover a lot of water way quicker that way. And that, that's just, I I like to find the fish and then slow down. So really, I mean, and that's what I love about kayak fishing is like, you know, if you look at the bass boat guys, like everybody either has a Phoenix or a Ranger or a, you know what I mean? And everybody has, you know, 
two 12-inch graphs at the console and two 16 inches up front. Or they have everybody has a spotlight trolling motor. Everybody has a power pole. Everybody has a, you know what I mean? It, it, it gets to that cookie cutter effect that like you can only do so much and still be doing what 10 other people have already done. But with a kayak, I mean, the, you know, uh, with, with your bigger tournament trails, you have, you know, certain restrictions and stuff like, uh, with KBF, for instance, you can have a gasoline outboard, but it can't exceed three horsepower. You can have an electric motor, but the wattage per or there's some type of equa- equation to get like your wattage converted to horsepower. The biggest motor out there is the Torquedo eleven oh three. That's a the you know the the most I guess potent one if that's the word you know you you want to use, and it's equivalent to a three horsepower. But like I said, you have these guys that would prefer a simple pedal drive or a smaller paddle type kayak. Now they're not going to be, you know, power fishing in 30, 40, 50 foot of water. They're going to be in the the creeks, the, you know, looking for the, what I call residential bass, which I feel, I mean, that's from my fishing experience in life, residential bass are a thing. Like you can go to the same dock, you know, year after year, you're gonna catch, catch the same catch fish. Catch that same fish because yeah. it stays in that area. But um, no, as far as like my kayak setup, my preference, it's always changing. Number one, but I, on average, I take uh, ten rods with me, eight to ten rods, depending on you know what I'm doing. Obviously, if pre-fishing and practice went better than that, I try to minimize you know, the amount of weight and clutter that I have with me. Like if I'm on a strong, you know, jig bite or, you know, I know, hey, first three hours of the morning, top water. After that, you know, some type of reaction bait, whether it be a crankbait or a chatterbait or something like that. And then, you know, when it gets hot, pick up the worm and slow down. In a situation like that, I'm probably taking three or four rods. And, you know, maybe a terminal box and a bag of plastics and, you know, the, the simple. Hey, don't forget your crackers. Yeah, you you, you got to <laughs> have some you, you got to have some snacks and crackers. And I'm more of a Uncrustable guy, but. Uh, no, Uncrustable's got to be frozen. And by the time you eat them, they ain't going to be frozen out there. So Yeah, well, it, it, again, it's all about preference. <laughs> <laughs> I, I like it when it. When it's still almost frozen, but like the bread's not. Yeah. yeah, but the jelly's not, and the bread's not, but the peanut butter is kind of. Yeah, still a little stiff. Yeah, yeah. perfect. No, that is a good time. <laughs> I love how we always resort back to food. Right. Especially you on the diet. I know I'm the one that's on the diet, and it's absolutely killing me. <laughs> but the diet is to get ready for Colorado, so y'all get ready for that one. Yeah. But uh, so why? I guess how does kayak tournaments? differ from regular tournaments except i mean except the uh you know the app where you send the fish in take a picture you can release it and all that so how what other rules are different i mean do you still leave it starlight is it still eight hour tournaments is it i mean how do you do big fish in that situation is it still just picture how many people try to cheat like can you actually cheat doing it because i know on these bigger fishing tournaments they'll go put them in a dock and trash can 
You know, I don't know. Did yeah, see well, a lot of that. The okay, so um, first, I want to cover the the cheating aspect. There's um, obviously over the years, a lot of things have been discovered uh, the hard way, the the wrong way. Um, I mean, there's there's been some crazy crazy attempts at cheating in kayak fishing. Um, just because you have the catch photo release method, you have to use, you know, the approved measuring device. Um, I mean, there's been people that have measured dead fish. I mean, you can tell if a fish is dead. It, 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 it's eyes glossing over. It's the number one thing that happens. If you have a gray eye, now, there are stipulations where, I mean, I've caught a fish before where it had a dead eye. Like, the fish was live and well, but one eye was completely glossed over. Um, and in that instance, you can still weigh that fish, but there's, like, three different things that you have to do for that to be, that fish to be accepted and counted for your total weight, if you will, or total length for the day. Um, and, I mean, you'd have to take a video of it showing the dead eye, showing you releasing it and it's swimming off healthy that, you know, it, it was a decent fish, um, you know, or a, a live fish. Um, you have to contact, immediately contact whatever tournament director just to let them know, you know, hey, I'm, I have a fish that's probably going to be challenged. Um, and that that's another thing in kayak fishing is you can actually challenge just like with, you know, racing. A lot of people, you know, oh, well, uh, I think he has an illegal motor or whatever. You can challenge that person. Same thing with kayak fishing. You can challenge their fish. You know, hey, man, this, this wasn't legal. Um, and so to what makes it different or whatever is, and to prevent cheating is you have something called an identifier. And an identifier, it's a little card that has you know, whatever code is generated that morning of the tournament. Um, and it's usually a code that, like, it's strictly off a of chance, you know. Yeah, you're not going to make it up. Yeah, you, nobody could guess that that's what the identifier was going to be. Um, for instance, our local trails, the Palmetto State Kayak Bass Fishing um, Trail is, you know, it's something in the upstate. We go all the way down to Santee. Um, but anyways, what we usually do in the morning, um, there's a board of five or a, a board of five members on the board, you know, with a president. Um, what they'll do is, you know, like in the morning, for instance, uh, the tournament director is Barry and then, you know, his right hand man, a board member, Terry Smith, you know, Barry will look at Terry and be like, Hey man, give me a letter. And he'll be like, uh, R and then. You know, they'll look at me and be like, Drew, give us a number. And I'll be like, uh, seven. And then, you know, they'll get like four digits and be like, R7P9. That's And you have to write that on your identifier card, which has to be in each picture of each fish submitted. Not only that, the mouth has to be shut. If the mouth is open at all, that's a quarter-inch penalty. Um, if the fish's lip is not up against the bump, your bump board, um, that's a quarter inch penalty. If you touch the, um, the actual fin 
the tail fin of the fish in your picture. That's a half-inch penalty. Um, and the reason being is because, I mean, you can squeeze out a half-inch on a fish if you pinch their tail together. Yeah. Well, a lot of people don't understand the difficulty of just getting the fish to lay there, much less lay close their gills, keep their mouth shut, and lay their tail flat. That alone is a challenge. And I think that's why I like it as, I'm not going to say as much as I do, but I mean, yeah, for lack of a better word, you know, uh, that's why I like it as much as I do. It's a challenge. It's always a challenge. I, and not only that, I can go where a bass boat can't. I mean, I've yeah, went, no, through, I went through, a, a, I think it was like a 40 or 42-inch culvert before, underneath the road to a backwater pond that had no docks, there, there's no boat ramp. There's, I mean, that's water that probably, ha, you know, never gets hit. And um, that was actually on Kiwi. Uh, me and my buddy Kyle Davis went out there. And, I mean, you can ask him. Uh, I pulled out, I think, a six. It was six pounds, two ounces, and he got like a five-eight. And we were back there for 30 minutes, 45 minutes. So, I guess y'all don't weigh them. You just go <laughs> strictly off of inches. Well, yeah, in a tournament, I mean, I keep a scale on my kayak just just in case, you know, I break my PB. I, I, I want to know what I'm working with. Um, but the the length is, you know, tournament standards, you're, you're going off of inches. And we go off, a, it's all the way down to quarter-inch increments. Um, and you'd be surprised how many times that quarter-inch counts at the end of the day. Yeah, like, no, I bet it will. What kind of uh, what kind of lengths are you looking at winning these tournaments, and, and what lengths? Um, I mean, really, that that just varies. A lot of the times, it just varies if it's uh, primarily a spotted bass fishery, or if it's you know predominantly largemouth or smallmouth. You know, just it, right. Kiwi would be shorter than Hartwell, I would think. Um, yes and no. I, I've got a couple of honey holes on Kiwi where I know the largemouth like. Um, and see, but that that's that's the thing though is um with spotted bass, nine times out of ten, I don't care, you know, if you go on a guided trip or whatever, you know, seventy five percent of your fish are gonna be a pound or smaller if you're fishing for spotted bass. Um, just because, you know, spotted bass don't in in South Carolina anyways, they don't you know, really get that big. My personal best spotted bass is uh, four pounds, two ounces, and that was out of Joe Cassie in 63 feet of water. And the only reason I got that fish was because of electronics, you know. And um, But, I mean, really to answer your question, okay, so a 20-incher is a good fish, a really good fish. On a five-fish limit, if you can get in the 90s, you're doing really good. Um, but hand-in-hand hand with that, uh, the first ever uh, BASS, you know, Bassmaster Classic Kayak Series was uh, this year on uh, Lake Fork. And uh, Mark Pentagraph uh, on day one put up like 103 inches. Then on day two put up like 114 inches. So I mean, these are all seven, eight, nine pounds, 
you know, fish. Um, You're also talking about Lake Fork. Yeah, which is the number one, you know, that they, they just put out the top 100 lakes uh, for 2021, and Lake Fork is number one. Um, I mean, that's a – if you know anything about Lake Fork, that is a bass factory. Like, I mean, they're – you know, I, I think the, the PB or the – not – I'm so used to saying PB. The state record uh, for Texas came out of Lake Fork, and I think it's like 16, 17 pounds. Oh, my God. And that's – that's a toad. Yeah. I mean, I've, my personal best is nine pounds, seven ounces. And as crazy as it is, came out of Lake Greenwood. Really? Uh, yeah, I was 21, 22, somewhere around in there. Well, my brother called a uh, 11 and three quarter out of a farm pond on a frog in a Zebco 33. <laughs> and he had to jump in the water to get it. Because the Zebco 33 drag wouldn't pull it in, it was turned all the way up. It was, it's a funny story because my brother don't fish. Right. I mean, it was kind of one of them. Oh yeah, let's go fishing. Yeah. Um, honestly, I mean my my PB is kind of the same thing. Now, granted, it wasn't a farm pond; it was actual lake. But I was bank fishing with a, I think it was like a six foot spinning rod. You know, super like medium light, super light uh, setup maybe eight pound line and uh well i really wasn't even supposed to be fishing i'd actually went to go cut somebody's grass uh my landlord at the time and they had a lake house property i got done cutting the grass had a rod in the trunk and just went for it you know a couple hours just walking up and down the bank and made a cast up under a tree i thought i was hung so i you know kept tension on the line just for a second and i watched the line just start skating across the water i'm like yeah i'm not hung (laughs) so i set the hook and i had to jump down in the water too and it ended up being uh the it's crazy i didn't have a scale on me the only way that i know what it weighed is the neighbor to the landlord's house that i was at was sitting on a dock fishing and he had a scale and he saw the size of the fish that I pulled out. I was like, man, bring it over here. Let's throw it on the scale. I'll tell you a funny story about measuring my brother's fish, right? Well, they were, like I said, they was at a farm pond. He's not a fisherman. He knew it was a big fish, so he went through it in the bed of his truck and brought it home. So, I don't know, 45 minutes to an hour later after it's been out of the water, he weighed it. So that thing was probably over 12 yeah. when he first pulled it out of the water. That's it, it just it blows my mind, man, that I mean, even us, South Carolina, sixteen pounds two ounces. That is the state record. Where's that at? Um, it was set and everybody can check the numbers. I've looked at this so many times, I'm almost certain I'm right. It was in nineteen forty nine out of Lake Marion, which is the north lake of Santee Cooper. But in two thousand one it was tied uh out of a uh big i can't remember if it was a farm pond a private pond or a pay pond it was something like that it was tied in uh cow pens i believe 16 pounds two ounces that's a freaking toad here's a fun fact charles used to fish for clemson did yeah that's what i was about to get into earlier when i asked you know the length because whenever i was fishing you, you knew that morning basically what you needed to you know cut a check or make it to the national championship you know i mean you knew 16 pounds late norman you know you're you're up there you look at maybe a boat 
But um, yeah, that's why I was asking you what the what the length was. And you said about ninety inches is kind of what you when you feel. Yeah. Good. Well. Okay. So, um, for instance, uh, Lake Hartwell Kiwi last year, uh, the KBF Trail. It was a like, like a dual lake, you know, showdown. You could pick either lake to fish, um, and it was a two day event. Um, I led it for uh, almost seven hours. Um, and I ended up, I ended up eighth overall. Um, and my buddy Kyle ended up sixth. Kyle had, uh, I think it was 91 inches. Um, I ended out like 80, it was high 80s, 86 or 87 inches. Um, and, but the thing is with kayak fishing, a lot of people like to sandbag. Like you're, you're pro, like you don't have to submit the fish the second you catch it. Yeah, that's what I was going to ask. So it's like a live update, kind of like the Major League Fishing. It, it, exactly. You you that's have cool. a live, you know, scoreboard, leaderboard, if you will. Um, so, and, and I'm not going to lie, when you're in one of those tournaments, the best advice I can give you is if you're doing well, do not look at your phone. Do not look at your phone. And I'm not just saying just with the leaderboard because, you know, a Hobie, uh, BOS, uh, KBF and then BASS all, um, they have, you know, like obviously the sponsored like Facebook pages or whatever, you know, uh, you can go to like, you know, the Bassmaster page or you can go, for instance, you know, Project DIY, you, you know, you can go to whatever page, um, and they do like post updates. So the whole time I'm fishing, you know, Facebook's in, in my in my PFD, you know, my life jacket, like, just going off. And all I'm worrying about doing is, you know, I get a fish in, make sure it's a good coal. You know, obviously, if I don't have a limit by, by that time, you know, make sure my pictures are right. Um, and, see, w- what I did want to add in as far as the difference between bass boats and kayak fishing is the the catch photo release. You have to make sure you have a good picture before you let the fish go. And that's what a lot of people mess up on is, you know, they'll have, you know, 22, 23, 24-inch, you know, toad, just straight-up monster of a fish, but uh, they forgot to put their identifier in the fish. Or in the picture with a fish, so right. You just get so excited, you caught that big fish, you forget to yeah, do the, and the correct picture. So that's really why, like, I tell anybody if they want to get into kayak fishing, or not necessarily even just tournament fishing, but kayak fishing in general, it's all about you. You have to find your method. There's a method for anything, even if you're just going out in a local farm pond in a kayak with one rod, landing that fish, you have to have a method. Because that paddle's got to go somewhere. Yeah. That I mean, you've you got to watch out, you know, for, for your line. You know, obviously you don't want the end of your line, you know, rubbing over your paddle. If you've got a four or five, six-pounder on, you know, just wanting to dog you, come up and jump and then go right back to the bottom, you know. So there's, there, there's methods for everything. Um, and, like, with mine um, – <laughs> I've actually used this method to to help me get a bigger fish, uh, like tournaments in the spawn. Um, bed fish, and obviously anybody that knows anything about 
you know, spawning bass, typically the first fish you see on a bed is going to be the male. And your rule of thumb is the male's typically the smaller one of the couple with the female. The female's big girl. Um, what I use is something called fish grips and um, more or less like locking pliers that go around the fish's lip. And I tie paracord, you know, to the handle, uh, you know, one end of the paracord to the handle of the fish grip and the other end of the paracord to like a carabiner that I latch to my kayak. And I more or less put the fish on a leash. Um, that's one of my secrets, if you will, to get the fish to calm down, to lay down on your board so you can get your picture. Get the hook out, put it right back in the water, let it chill out, and just calm down. And once you pick it back up, you I mean, it's like a completely different fish. Because a lot of people try to, you know, get their measurement with a jig still in its mouth. Like, you're probably not going to get the best picture. It's not going to relax. It's still, you know, it knows what's going on. Um, especially if it's a bigger fish. That bigger fish got bigger for a reason. Because yeah. it wasn't stupid. Um, and... Like, uh, okay, walk na- or walk through more or less of my kayak. Uh, obviously, I have to have a PFD or a uh, life jacket. What it, I call it a PFD. Um, you have to have a paddle, you know, just in case. Because uh, I do have a trolling motor, but batteries die. You know, wires come loose. You know, motors burn up. It, you always have to be, you know, prepared for the worst. Um, so paddle, uh, obviously a net, um, my measuring device. And every time I get my measuring device, I make sure I have an identifier and I always have a backup identifier. You drop things in the water, it starts raining, whatever, you're not prepared. You always have to have a backup. Um, like I said, eight to 10 rods. Uh, I have a Yak Attack black pack, which is more or less... A uh, milk crate on steroids, um, and it, it's, uh, it's where I keep all my tackle. Um, it has eight rod holders on it, um, and then I have two uh, track-mounted rod holders um, by Yak Attack. I have the uh, Omega Pro and the Zuka 2. Um, you can find all of those at yakattack.us. Um like I said before, amazing accessories. Um, I have a Lawrence Elite FS9 um, 9-inch fish finder, um, touchscreen, you know, active target, uh, capable or compatible. Um, I take, uh, and to power my fish finder, I actually use deer feeder batteries. The 12-volt little 7-amp-hour um, I take three of those with me. Uh, one of those actually um, runs my nav lights up front, you know, my green and red. I have LED strips, uh, you know, wired into the kayak. Um, and obviously once light comes out, I turn my lights off and just use that battery as a backup for my graph. Um, I use a uh, Minkota um, C230 Endura just your standard uh, tiller, you know, handle, 30-pound thrust trolling motor. 
Um, let's see what else. That's, I mean, that's pretty much it. Um, and, you know, I take probably three, well, four 3,700 Plano boxes. Um, one of them's dedicated strictly to terminal tackle. The other one is, you know, jigs, chatterbait, swim jigs. I have a topwater box, and then I have a cranking box. So, you know, I'll probably take one or two colors of a deep diver, then like a medium diver, and then, you know, shallow and or square bill, and then probably like one or two lipless. With my lipless crankbaits, if it's not chrome or gold, I don't want it. <laughs> nah, I mean, that's, yeah, I, I'm, it's simple. Gold, if it's stained water and sunny, chrome, overcast, clear. That's pretty much all I mess with. See, whenever uh, whenever I go fishing, which I don't fish that much anymore, but whenever I go fishing, I always get red or black. The, the, those are good colors. My thing is, uh, and, and I, I, I'll, I'll tell you why those are my only two colors with a lipless. Uh, just because if you're fishing a lipless crankbait, 99.9% of the time you're trying to imitate a shad, a heron, uh, you know, maybe even a bluegill. But a lot of the times you're imitating a bait fish. Um, and if you notice, just with catching bass, uh, crappie, I mean, what you know, whatever your fish of choice to, to catch is, I mean, even with catfish, if you catch, go down to like Greenwood or Boys Mill Pond or, you know, something that's like predominantly stained water year-round, Catch a bass, it's going to have a gold yellow tint to it. But go to Kiwi or Joe Cassie, something real clear, that thing's going to be white and silver, like bright. It's kind of the same thing with your water clarity with your bait fish. If it, you know, if it really, you know, like say, say you've had like two weeks of rain, right? And it kind of blows out your favorite fishery. Well, in that two weeks, that water is staining those fish too. So that, that's like my, my, I guess, rule of thumb, if you will. Super stain, it's gold. If it's clearing up or really clear, it's chrome. Just because the way I fish a lipless, I'm either burning it or yo-yo. I don't fish a lipless no other way. Yeah. And we were down in uh, Lake Seminole in Florida. We were fishing um, three-day, two-day tournament. And the, the second day, we didn't do good the first day. The second day, we were trying to qualify for national championship in Minnesota. We wasn't going anyway because there's no way we could get out of class and go up there. And we fished the first day, didn't do any well, didn't do any good. And then the second day, about, I don't know, th- 2 o'clock, or an hour and a half before weigh in, um, started throwing a red, a red lipless crank, reddish orange, and started wearing them out. Yeah, well, I mean, Did, run out of time, and top three people—that's what they said they were they were fishing <laughs> with—was that one color. I mean, nobody else was really catching fish. Right. Well, see, and what what I've what I've noticed about your when you get into your reds and stuff. Um, I personally, with my experience, I have, I mean, and you can watch any tutorial on YouTube from any angler ever. And I mean, it's just, it's a rule of thumb. Typically red is around your springtime. That's really about the only time I pick up red. Now, 
with saying that, um, I went to the national champion, the KBF national championship last year on uh, Lake Gunnersville in Alabama, and red is about the only thing they would mess with. Well, with consideration, I was throwing a uh, Z-Man uh, Chatterbait, the Jackhammer, um, in half ounce, but I was throwing it in a color called Beehive Delight, which is like a green pumpkin and chartreuse. Um, the I, I I found in like the real 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 like thick heavy grass areas they wanted that over the red, right? And that's that's where we were catching the ones down in Florida. But I feel like in Florida everything is colorful down there. Man, I I caught a a small largemouth on like this bright. I was trying to catch a peacock bass, and I was throwing a lipless, and it was this bright blue and yellow. And man, the, the largemouth were wearing that thing out. Couldn't catch a peacock on it. Finally, ended up catching a peacock, but it was on a jerk bait in the middle of the summer. <laughs> that was kind of weird, but um, yeah, go ahead. Right. Um, yeah, I mean, well, okay. So as far as colors, though, I've also um, Lake Lanier. Of all places down in Georgia, uh, I, I've me, me and my buddy Kyle, we were uh, pre-fishing for a KBF event down on Lanier, um, and I found that the uh, that we we found a you know quite a few schools of fish on the northern end, um, it right out of the river, and they wouldn't touch anything except for a uh, Kyle's actually the one that discovered it. But he had like a, I don't. It, it was almost like a tan, not really like a like a yellow or orange. It was almost like a really really light brown, like a kind of like a crawdad. Color. Yeah, like, like a natural crawdad color, and you know it, it was blown out water. You know, super murky. I was banging that lipless like crazy. Uh, tried you know a real fluorescent um, spinner bait. Went solid white, went to a chatterbait. The only thing we could get hit on was that sand tan color square bill or lipless. And luckily, he had like two or three of them in his box because I sure didn't, you know, have any. I, I've never bought a tan lure. I mean, that's just not, you know, I, I've never seen a tan bait fish, you know, so it's not like my go to, but. I mean, colors will definitely throw you off. That that's I think that's one of the biggest misconceptions in bass fishing or in fishing in general is the color of a lure. And I mean, you can I, I've talked to so many different people. Uh, Brandon Cobb, for instance, he uh, lives down in '96. Bassmaster Elite dude, you know he's. Definitely paved his own way. You know, he, he, he's, he, he has a foundation to stand on, I'll say. And, you know, it, it, that, that's what I love about fishing because it all boils down to preference. Because talking to him, I mean, he's never thrown red ever. And, I mean, has plenty of checks to show you that you don't have to throw red. But um, I, I don't know, man. That's just... It, that that's one of the things that always like blows my mind because it's that's also how I end up throwing a lure or a color that I've never thrown is usually going out with a buddy and be like man they're not gonna hit that blue and chartreuse you know this super clear water 
four hours later, I don't have a fish and they have seven, you start to listen. So, yeah. you know, I'm, you know what I'm sitting here thinking about? This is random. Can you imagine Bill dance on a kayak? <laughs> like, he can't even get on a boat without falling off. Like, can you imagine him trying to fish on a kayak? Like, I know that's random, but the thought just popped in my head and I almost started laughing to myself because I want to see that video. I used to watch bloopers in my uh, physics class all the time, bust out laughing in the middle of class, Bill Dance bloopers. But yeah, I have another one more question. I think we start wrapping it up. Um, so I know what it's like for a Bassmaster or, you know, a, a bass boat tournament. Um, when you show up, you know, everybody's kind of, everybody putting their boats in, whatever, and then everybody blasts off. You know, you go around in certain order. So how does that work in kayak fishing? What's the morning look like before a tournament, and kind of how do they lay that out in the mornings? Okay, so uh, kind of going to be like a two-part answer, um, just because you have your local trails and then your national-level trails. Uh, national-level trail usually is a lake-wide um, tournament, meaning any public access boat ramp. It can be you know a free boat ramp, a pay boat ramp, but it has to be a boat ramp. Um, and you use something called Tourney X. Um, well, Tourney X is like the, 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 the staple as far as apps go when it comes to kayak fishing and stuff like that. Um, there's Tourney X, and now there's another app called Fish and Chaos. You have to have either one of those apps, you know, depending on what tournament is, you know, sponsored by what app. Um, KBF is now Fish and Chaos, so we'll use that as an example. Uh, first thing in the morning, um, you have, you know, time frames. Um, I know with bass boats, usually you meet at one ramp. Um, you pay your entry fee, you know, do, do your boat number, draw your boat number, whatever. Everybody sits out at the dock, you know, in their boat. They call by number and everybody takes off or they just do a, a drag race, you know, blast off uh, type of deal. And you have a time to come and be back. It's kind of like that, but not really, um, because with kayak fishing um for instance we'll say okay you can launch at 5 30 um lines in at six that's typically how they do it now how how do they tell that if it's a lake-wide tournament every single boat ramp on the lake is open for anybody well you have that app you have to check in on the app before you can leave that boat ramp you cannot be sitting in your kayak and check in and you're 100 yards away from the ramp because you will automatically be disqualified because the second you check in, it sends a GPS ping, your exact location of where you're at. And there's, there's two different, two different re reasons why they do that. And I know this just because of you know following KBF and all the captain's meetings and stuff like that. Um, number one, obviously, is for to prevent people from cheating. So you're not fishing, you know, off limits water. You're you're it, it's fair to everyone. The second reason is for angler safety. Say you happen to go missing, or you lose cell service, you drop your phone, you don't show up to the check in, the weigh in, you never check out. They have a GPS ping of your last known location to where to start looking for you. 
because with a kayak you're only limited you know you're not running 10 miles from the ramp that's you know you can but i doubt you're gonna get back you know for the tournament um but so uh you get to your uh whenever this is what i do um i trailer my kayak uh just because you know now i have so much stuff that I put on it, it's just so much easier to trailer it, loading and unloading. And I, even though I'm a kayak guy, I understand boating etiquette, boat ramp etiquette. I'm not the guy camping out on the boat ramp for 25 minutes in the morning. Um, I rig up, you know, obviously out, out of the way, put my boat in the water, do a triple check, make sure I have everything, um, identifier, phone, you know, full charge, snacks, water, whatever. Um, I get on the water, check in on the app, you know, as I'm sitting at the dock and then I can take off to wherever I want to go. Um, I usually get to my spot early and th- th- this is the part that will kind of hit you in the feels. Uh, a lot of the times I'll get to my spot and still have like 16, 17 minutes, you know, left to wait before that six o'clock or six thirty lines in. And I'm an honest guy, you know, could I make a cast 10 minutes before everybody else? Absolutely. But, it, you know, I'm the type of guy, like, it feels better when you win if you know that you did it the right way. You know what I mean? So subconsciously, I've never made that cast before lines in. But I've been in plenty of situations where I get to my spot and they are schooling and busting all around me and you just got to sit there and watch the clock. Um, but yeah, so, uh, lines in happens, you start fishing. Um, usually you have a lines out time, which typically is two thirty to three thirty, depending on the length of the tournament. Um, and then you have an hour after that lines out time for photo submission, because a lot of the time, it, you know, like in Lake Gunnersville, ain't no service. There's no service whatsoever where I was catching fish. But I was on them, so I wasn't leaving, you know. Uh, And then, um, so they give you that hour grace period. Now, you also have to check out, you know, once you get back to the ramp, and that lets everybody know he at least made it off of the water, you know. So instead of looking at the lake, if he didn't show up, you need to be calling highway patrol and checking for wrecks and, you know, stuff like that. Um, but usually you'll have, you know, some type of meetup, uh, location, whether it be a tackle store, uh, you know, wherever, uh, KBF usually does like, um, chamber of commerce buildings, you know, cause they get in with the city or whatever, for whatever event they're going to, um, and usually go that route. The same thing with Hobie BOS, they'll do a chamber of commerce or, you know, a, a, a nearby, you know, nice hotel that has like a big, you know, like banquet room or something like that. Um, and then your photo submissions are judged by three different people. So it's a completely unbiased judging system. Um, and once your fish gets accepted, you get a confirmation email, you know, letting you know, hey, your fish has been accepted. You can check on the app to see if it's been accepted. Um, and as far as, like, the, the tournament in a whole, it's still it's the same concept, you know. Uh, you, you take your five biggest, 
um, or submit your five biggest. Uh, and obviously, you know, the, the most inches down to the quarter inch wins. Um, and it's, like I said, really the, the biggest thing is not having a live well and having the measure of fish. That, that's probably the biggest difference as far as, you know, limited space and stuff like that. It, it's really the same thing. You're going out there looking for five keepers, um, and, you know, once you get your five keepers, you're looking for five bigger ones. And so what's your goal, I guess? What's your end goal? Are you going to try to go pro or? I mean, that's, you know, <laughs> everybody wants to live out that fairy tale. Um, I'm, I'm more of a, a realist, though. And so my thing is, my goal is if I can just keep fishing tournaments, you know, because um, – don't get me wrong. It's nice cashing a check. It's nice having that plaque and everybody, you know, you know, shaking your hand and giving you high fives, telling you, you know, and getting recognition from sponsors and being, you know, all of that's cool. But my thing is, is there's nothing like being up at three o'clock in the morning and being like a drag race to the boat ramp. And, you know, like, man, it, it's go to that, that, that feeling is really what I chase every single time um, from, you know, the, the weeks before a tournament, you know, checking all my rods, going through all the guides, making sure all my reels are good, you know, switching out line, checking baits, making sure, you know, split rings are good. All the treble hooks are good. You know, I, I didn't dole out any, you know, terminal tackle or I'm stacked it like all of that. I mean, I guess that's that's the definition of a passion, if you ask me. You yeah, know, no, because I do the same thing with, you know, different types of hunting. I mean, I'll start cleaning my decoys with soap and water for about a month before season comes in. <laughs> so, and at the end of the season, they're so freaking muddy. It's not even funny. But uh, no, no, I get it. That's definitely the passion. Well, unfortunately, that's all the time we got today. Thanks, Drew, for uh, coming by and giving us a little rundown. We're going to do a, a couple more episodes with Drew. As you can tell, he's very passionate about what he does, and we can't help but appreciate that. But everyone, don't forget to go check out Project DIY Hunter on Facebook. And if you got any questions, email us at projectdiyhunter at gmail.com. And uh, keep your eyes open for the next episode. Thanks.